This is Audio Immunity, a podcast about our body's never-ending fight with the outside world. Hi, this is Audio Immunity, recorded March 4th, 2015. This is a Kevin mini-sode. I'm Kevin Bonham, and this is not a full episode, even though it should be. And there are a few reasons for that. All boiling down to recording issues. Um, the long and the short of it is Matt's computer exploded. Not really, but figuratively, uh, it melted down on him in the middle of recording uh, the episode that we were supposed to post last week. So I'm going to record a quick mini-sode. Hopefully Matt's going to get a new computer or get his fixed and we'll be able to do a full episode next week. But today I want to get a little bit meta and talk not about science that has been published the way that we normally do on this show, but rather talk about how science gets published, which if you're at all related to science, or even if you're not, you probably know that publishing the results of scientific studies is an incredibly important part of the scientific enterprise. The way that I like to say it often is that science is useless unless you're sharing those results with other people. And though a lot of scientists go to scientific conferences and share the results in public talks, the vast majority of science, and certainly the science of record, is that that is published in peer-reviewed scientific journals. So I wanted to talk a little bit about how that normally happens And then I want to talk about open science, which is a sort of departure from the typical path of science publishing that I think is really important and is the direction that I hope science publishing is going for reasons that I will describe in a moment. So first, let me talk a little bit about how science publishing typically works. So in general, scientists do experiments in their lab. They have some hypotheses. They test those hypotheses. Those lead to new hypotheses, which are then tested by experiment, etc., etc. And ultimately, what we all want is to have what is considered a complete story. And what a complete story consists of varies from field to field. It might vary from journal to journal, but ultimately we have some coherent narrative of a hypothesis, some experiments that lead to some conclusions, and we write all of that up, we put the data in figures, we spin a narrative together that describes the experiments and the results of the experiments, their potential impacts, and then we send it off to a journal. Now, obviously, I'm simplifying a lot of things here. There's a lot that goes into how it's written and what journal you're submitting it to. But usually, we have a fairly good idea of what sorts of journals will want to hear the story that we're telling. We submit it to the journal, and then we wait. What happens on the journal side is that under ideal conditions, an editor receives the submitted manuscript. They look around for experts in the field that the manuscript is in to peer review, they send the manuscript out to those peers who then look over the manuscript and essentially decide a few different things. And again, what they're basing their decision on depends on the journal, but typically they are looking at whether or not the experiments that are done justify the claims that are being made by the authors. And often they will suggest additional experiments or clarifications to the conclusions that the authors have made. They will send those comments and suggestions back to the editor, who will then forward them to the authors, obscuring the names of the reviewers, and then the authors will have a chance to revise their manuscript, do the additional experiments, and then resubmit. And hopefully, after a round, sometimes two, sometimes more, of this back and forth, the manuscript will be published in the journal. Or the journal will say, this isn't a story for us, you need to submit it somewhere else. And so this seems great. I mean, the idea is that, you know, only the best science gets published, or the science get published is commensurate with the quality of the journal that you're reading. And hopefully, 
Ideally, manuscripts are improved by this process of peer review. And to be honest, most of the time they are. But this process also introduces a ton of inefficiencies into the system. It slows down the rate of scientific advancement and it sucks millions of dollars out of the research enterprise, most of which is coming from public coffers. I don't have time in a single mini-sode to go into why that's the case, but I do want to address one sort of criticism or objection that a lot of people have when I bring up these problems with the typical publishing process, and that is, if it's really so bad, then why don't all scientists just figure out a different way to do it? I'm claiming that scientific publishing pulls millions of dollars out of research and there's much better ways of doing it. So why aren't all scientists just publishing stuff on their blogs if that was really a better way to publish? And the reason for that is because peer-reviewed publications currently have an enormous amount of institutional power. As I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, publications in peer-reviewed journals are essentially the science of record. Whether or not you give a talk, whether or not you've shared your data with all of your friends, in order for you to get credit, professional credit, in science, in order to write new grants based on the stuff that you've done before, in order to get tenure or promotion in an academic field, you must have publications in peer-reviewed journals. And peer-reviewed journals enforce their supremacy by saying, if your science has appeared anywhere else, not strictly anywhere else, you can present at conferences, but if you publish stuff on your own, if you put stuff up on a blog, those peer-reviewed journals will not accept your science into their pages. And what that means is you can't get formal credit for the work that you've done unless you buy into and accept the current publishing regime. So I think I'm going to have to carry this discussion through several of my mini-sodes. This is a, an issue that I'm really passionate about. I care a lot about it, so I want to take the time to sort of flush it out entirely. But just to sort of summarize my position, I think that the current scientific publishing industry, the current way that we recognize success in science is fundamentally broken. And it costs the scientific enterprise a huge amount in terms of both dollars and researcher time. And I think there are better ways of going about it. So in my next mini-sode, I'll discuss a little bit about how the current regime got to where it is and possibly in that episode or in a future mini-sode, I'll also talk about potential solutions. And I'm really excited to say that the lab I'm currently in seems to be on board with some of these ideas. And uh, I'll discuss that again in a future mini-sode. So that's it for this week. Again, I apologize that we don't have another full episode to share with you. We're going to hopefully get one of those next week. But until then, this has been Audio Immunity from immunity.org. That's E-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y dot O-R-G. Uh, we have stuff all over the web, but frankly, it hasn't been updated in a while. So for now, we just have the podcast. You can find it on iTunes or there's an RSS feed on the website. And the music at the beginning and the end of the episode was composed by Rachel Reinick. And we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.